welcome everybody to Not So Famous Achievers. Weekly conversations with some of the world's most amazing but not so famous achievers on what they did and how they did it and what you can learn from their journey. With your hosts, Will Christ and Robert White. Hey guys. Well, we're welcoming back Will Christ from his uh, arduous journey to the uh, being a leaf peeper in uh, Vermont, and we're welcoming a new friend, Peggy O'Flaherty. Uh, this should be a great session. Well, hello, Peggy. Well, hello. <laughs> uh, where, where, are, Good where, are you? where are you, Peggy, and where are you going? I am in Chicago, and I just came back from a very interesting networking event. So you're all wound up with uh, new ideas and new friendships and all of that stuff. Yes, I found it fascinating. There was 15 people at the table and I was the only woman, so I always think it's interesting. Uh, yes, that would be interesting. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, about being uh, a, a woman entrepreneur multiple times in your life. I want to talk just quickly about myself here. It, you know, it reminds me of that joke about narcissists, you know, that they say, well, I've talked about myself long enough. Now, why don't you talk about me? <laughs> so I'm, I have that risk. <laughs> I have that risk going on here. But uh, I had a conversation with Peggy about a month ago, and I've been thinking about it. And uh, I have a morning routine with uh, some prayers. And actually, I thought, and I um, every Tuesday I pray that we make a contribution with uh -huh. this with this uh, podcast. And I was thinking about Peggy, and I think about how vivid my conversation was with you, Peggy. Because uh, I've said to people about myself that a lot of my accomplishment, even though it had some things missing from it, a lot of it came from that part of my book that says, uh, you are not enough. I have this kind of, I'll prove to you that I am enough. So a lot of my accomplishment came from that. And I was thinking about our conversation, Peggy, and yourself described, it was something like, I'm a C student, I went to a C university, and I'm an example of what you can do with that kind of a beginning. But I, what I got was that you're kind of feisty. You're kind of, uh, I'll prove it to you kind of, I mean, is that the right impression of you or am I just seeing myself in you, you know? Well, like, you know what? I will give you the way that my dad explained me. My dad's, my dad has always said that I'm a dog with a bone. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's how my dad would describe me. If that's feisty, I think it's a little bit of persistence and a little bit of uh, tenacity, probably. Well, how uh, how can our audience get to know you here in a few minutes? I mean, tell us a little bit about your story, maybe a little bit about your dad. Sounds like he had some impact on your life. Well, you know, my dad raised 10 children. I was the baby with a total of eight girls. He was an amazing man, as well as my mother, and I've been blessed enough to have five of my own children, four of which are girls, and I've spent my entire career building communities of women. I currently have a community right now of about 60,000 women that help brands tell brand stories across social media as micro-influencers, but I really think it's just everyday women who have influence in their communities. Wow. How's that for an elevator speech, Will? <laughs> well, and then you're messing around with 15 men in a, uh, a networking meeting. <laughs> yeah. That's funny, right? Yeah. Right? I think that's funny. Well, a lot of uh, what we're doing uh, here, Peggy, is, is taking a look at the, the journey of entrepreneurs, executives, people that have achieved something in life, 
but perhaps they're not so famous. I think you'd qualify for that. And but part of the journey is, you know, what's worked and what hasn't worked. What have you learned along the way? I, I believe, if I recall correctly, this is your fourth entrepreneurial effort. How's my memory doing here? That is correct. That is correct. This is my fourth, uh, and each one has gotten a little bit bigger, and each one I've obviously learned, and with each one, I've been able to exit at a, a much more successful uh, trajectory for my investors. Uh-huh. Well, there's a, there's a key outcome. <laughs> That's for sure. That's what a lot of investors want to hear. What about the lessons along the way, uh, Peggy? Have you had any, I mean, you, you obviously have had a kind of a pyramid of success here. What about the the missteps. Have you stumbled along the way in any major way? Oh, sure. I think I think one of the biggest lessons for me is about making data-driven decisions. You know, by by the nature of who I am, I like to make. I mean, most of my relationships, most of my selling, most of my management style is very relationship-based. But for the successful outcomes of my company, they've been very focused on the the better I get at making data-driven decisions, the more successful I've been. Interesting. You know, that uh, part of uh, the teaching in my work includes uh, learning to better tell the truth about current reality. I'm like you. I tend to be intuitive. I tend to be on the relationship side of things. Data doesn't lie, usually. I mean, <laughs> right. It can, but it usually doesn't. And it's usually a truth, at least in my experience, it's often a truth that I don't want to look at. Uh, uh, it's not like I look at some piece of data and go, whoopee, it almost always contradicts some belief system that I have. How about you? Have you become a friend of the data? Absolutely. Now I actually get completely energized and I'm starting to see data points in every other aspect of my life and how it impacts you know all kinds of parts of my life when I look at the data and it makes, it's actually made my life easier. Because I recognize things like, you know what, if I take in a certain more ounces of water every day, I feel better. If I get a certain amount of extra hours of sleep, I sleep better. If I burn more calories, guess what? And I eat less, I, I lose weight. I mean, so I'm starting to really look at data across every aspect. But most importantly for the business, I have learned by the nature of my two partners how to come to a data review <laughs> more prepared uh, with solutions, observations, insight as to a new A-B testing that we can do to tweak the numbers to improve them. Mm. Yeah. Now, now you have, uh, you know, obviously some focus on women and women-owned business. What's the state of the art? What's the state of the planet on women-owned business today? I mean, you're in it in a way that's much deeper dive than I can even imagine. Yeah, it's really interesting because I get asked a lot of times on podcasts about women and fundraising, and I've raised almost two, uh, sorry, $3 million. And people will say, how did you do that? Like investors just don't want to give money to females. So there obviously is some truth to that, but they'll always ask me, well, what's the secret? And I said, well, how much time have you taken to build a relationship with that investor before you started to pitch them on your idea? And how much research did you do on the size of the market, what problem you're really solving? and the economics behind it. Because if you just went in with like, I have an incredible passion or a dream or an idea, ch chances are if I was an investor, I wouldn't invest in you if you're a female or male. But I've taken a lot of time to show to my investors that I'm going to get them a return on their investment. Simple, clear commitment. Wow. Well, you're I'm strangely silent this morning. I Is it this 
looking at the leaves? Did it put you into a contemplative place? <laughs> well, what, what I want to know is tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about how you see difference in women's businesses and men's businesses, if there's any. If there's any difference, uh, well, I think the biggest thing is like the blend between IQ and EQ. By my nature, and I'll give you more, you know, my investor is one of the top investors in the world. He's in, ranked in the top 100. He's brilliant. He, he's not only my investor in my last two companies, I bet you my next one, he's also my friend. And he also, in some ways, is kind of a spiritual guide for me, too. The name of his company is Pivot North. So he talks about always pivoting north. And so I have no problem pushing my two partners who are males. You know, when do we need to use our... Um, you know, when do we need to make a heart decision? When do we need to make a head decision? And one, I'm a strong personality, so I have no problem pushing them on that. They have no problem pushing me back. But I think sometimes if you're too far to the head or too far to the, uh, you know, the heart, you're going to run into problems. You've got to be somewhere in the middle for any business that you're running. Because you have customers and you've got employees and you've got people you're taking care of. And when you're dealing with people, you better be using your heart because we all have a lot of other things we bring to the office other than just the job that needs to get done. You know, there's a, there's a subtlety to that answer uh, and a depth to that answer that I think a lot of people could pay more attention to. Do, do you find, I mean, given what's going on right now, I mean, it seems to me that there's the big, the big shuffle, everybody moving around to places that they want to be, which to me is a heart thing. It's an EQ thing. And then secondly, the big resignation that not only millennials, but lots of people are choosing not to go back to work. Do you think that means that businesses are going to have to become more EQ sensitive, more heart focused to bring people back to work? Absolutely. I mean, I don't consider myself old, but at 52 years old, my entire team is in their 20s. And I love what they're teaching me about everything. I mean, I'll be honest with you, everybody in my team has a better work-life balance than I do. I mean, they are really good. About five o'clock, they're like, uh, no, I have a smartphone, but I'm not checking my messages or at, at weekends. They they are out having fun. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're enjoying their life. And I'm like, well, we're a startup. We got to really drive hard here, people. And they're like, no, I don't. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But they're really efficient. And that they, they work very smart. Um, they leverage technology to do things that, you know, I'm learning from them every single day. And so I think, you know, especially like the table that I just sat around, I mean, I'll be honest with you, we're mostly men my age and older with gray hair. And they were talking about challenges in their business, lawyers, financial guys. And I'm like, you got to adapt to the younger way of doing things and technology and and all the great stuff that that brings. And not have any fear about the fact that the world is changing. We've got to change with it. Well, I, I was uh, interviewing interviewing an expert on managing millennials about four years ago, and he said the problem is not with millennials. The problem is with the people who are trying to manage the millennials. It seems to me that these things are coming to a head now. Maybe COVID constraints pushed them forward or made people more aware or gave people 18 months to think about it, but it seems to me that that we're going to have a significant change in the business environment in the next five years. Agree with you, and and I, I see it all as good. You see what? I see that all as a positive and a good thing. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm one of those people that I, you know, people say to me all the time, oh, I see technology is bad. I'm like, I don't, I see it as brilliant. I mean, it, it helps our doctors do amazing things and it helps us get into outer space. Same thing with, um, you know, social media. People say, oh, social media is terrible. I'm like, are you kidding me? It tells some of the most important stories of poverty and inequality that we have to tell with greater reach. I mean, social media can be used for good. Technology is being used for good. And, and, and now, do you find that people are more connected now, heart-wise, uh, than they were before? I hope so. The people you, I choose to work with are. <laughs> well, that, that's uh, that's that's all that you, we could ask is is what's your perspective? What are you experiencing? Because that seems to be true for me as well. That people are paying much more attention to doing the things that they want to be doing rather than what they were told they have to do. Well, and I think you know, for many of us with the pandemic having had eighteen months to kind of take a deep breath and evaluate our lives, our livelihood, our relationships. I think people have a, a heightened sense of their own health and wellness that they know that not only applies to them, but it's integrated with everybody that they interact with. And so I think we're all, you know, operating in a slightly different framework than maybe we were in the past. And again, I see that as really good. What, now, tell me about your businesses. Are, are they being affected by the logistics struggle right now with supply chain? Well, that is a great question. And, you know, obviously the fourth quarter right now, I'm at the height of a $10 billion shopping opportunity where there is more shopping than ever before, more spending than ever before. And for sure, there is um, definitely constraints with shipping, inventory across every kind of industry that we're working with. And, um, you know, we're trying to help brands balance that out. Well, well, that 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 idea of getting uh, of being really more efficient, which that's such a dry sounding term, but really doing more with less seems to be uh, a part of our movement uh, for ecological reasons, certainly, but also for profit. That that uh, we can figure out a way around the issues because things are changing so fast. We're confronted with, as business people, we're confronted with change in a way that I really haven't experienced in, in my life. Yeah, I agree. Well, what are you doing to take care of you, Peggy? You know, you talked about these uh, young people having a different set of priorities. Uh, how about you? What, are you? what are you up to when you're not being the dog with a bone on your business? Or did I ask the wrong question here? No, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good question. And I think, um, well, I think, you know, the other thing about COVID, right, is that most of us have lived pretty busy lives where you're involved in, I've been involved in a lot of different things with five children alone. I, I have a lot of different circles of networks between kids sports and different colleges that they're at. And so hyper involved in different things. And I think because of COVID, a lot of that kind of fell away. So now that we're reemerging, I think I'm a bit more selective on the allocation of my time between a startup, you know, and five children there's not a lot of time left over. So I think, you know, I'm really starting to treasure the relationship I have with a, just my extended family, my siblings, a couple of friends that I grew up with over the years. I mean, I sat on my girlfriend's batch, back porch the other night and just had a glass of wine by her little fire pit. And she's like, we haven't done this in so long. And it's just some of those very basic relationships that I'm trying to 
take more time to foster because life is short and life is precious. And so taking care of me usually means taking care of other people. Wow. I have this ability to say a lot in just a few words. I, I think I could learn a lot from you. <laughs> that would probably make my eight children happier if I learned to be less uh, less articulate <laughs> and uh, more of an economy of words, perhaps. <laughs> and uh, if uh, you know, there's there's clearly, I mean, I, even I can see it. There's clearly a movement toward female entrepreneurship in the world, uh, and. Uh, you know, you can give attention to micro lending in uh, India and Sri Lanka and places like that, and what it's doing to empower women. How about in the U.S.? How's the infrastructure? How's the support system uh, with this growing number of women that are launching businesses or expanding the ones that they have? What do you see there? That's you're you're knee deep in it. Um, what's the what's the state of the planet when it comes to the the space? that women are moving into in entrepreneurship? Mm, that is a really good question. I'm going to give you a, a really interesting example of one uh, specific uh, community of women that I heard about recently that I just find so incredibly fascinating. So there's 650,000 women in this community that are serving the most fundamental needs of our world, poverty, homelessness, human trafficking, and this community of women um, are on the grounds doing like what you consider the real work of the world. And in doing so, they struggled because they didn't have technology as an infrastructure. So they, um, one smart woman out of Minneapolis contacted someone to do some basic development to create tech, to connect these women. So if there's a woman in Nigeria working on an agricultural issue, she can reach out to a woman in LA who maybe has already tackled that issue. Or if there is a person who is in Bolivia working on educating students, but doesn't have the right books, she can reach out to somebody in New York City who maybe has the resources for those books. So it's basically creating the web of 650,000 women doing the real work of the world through technology as a, um, a, 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 connected, a connected network. And uh, it's fascinating. I mean, I found out about this about a couple of weeks ago, and uh, what they're doing is amazing. What wow. is the group? What is the group? It's, it's called Sisters Rising Worldwide. And they're probably not fighting about uh, uh, country boundaries or who's bigger or who's rising, those kinds of things. No, I just... you know, what their mission is, is to work themselves out of a job. Their, uh -huh. their mission is to solve the problem in that very local community so that they can no longer have that problem and they can move on to the next village, the next city. So like one of the women was like, all she needed was a van because she was seeing human trafficking and she needed a van to transport the girls out of the one area to a safer area. So her, her call for action was not a, you know, a, a school book, but it was, she just needed the resource of a van if someone would either donate one or and think about how many people in america here have vans that they're just like you know they want to give them off to somebody i mean you know we just get that van to bolivia or wherever it was but um so that was an example of where you know women on the ground doing real work are leveraging technology for greater reach and solving real problems 
was that was that even the answer to your question or is that just something i really want to talk about <laughs> either way it's fun it, it, <laughs> i'm looking at sisters rising worldwide and and uh, it's amazing the kind of things that they're doing all over the place yes it is amazing and uh, the way in which they're being funded is truly by just the generosity of people in the world who like want to solve real world problems and none of it is being distributed to someone's paycheck there is no large red cross or any other organization taking a piece of it it's truly a collection of like three or four women that are driving that change Peggy, yeah. uh, i previously ran a business that was 80 percent female uh, for a lot of reasons and uh and very very successful frankly one of the things that i noticed was the uh the like the gap or the dichotomy that women can be incredibly competitive with each other uh and then they are so good at working together sometimes toward a toward an objective it seems like that those two things are opposite and yes some somehow at least in my company they made it work but that that incredibly competitive part doesn't seem to match with that ability to work together so well is that something you've noticed in, in your work with this now 60,000 women? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always that balancing act between um, there's a percentage of us by nature that just have a competitive side, right? Um, you know, that's just, that's innately who we are. And, and, um, and then hopefully we all have an element of some empathy and compassion towards other humans, you know, regardless of anything, race or nationality or gender. So I think we're constantly being called to exercise both of those things in a healthy, balanced way, which is really like leads us to becoming the best version of ourselves. The notion of taking care of that seems to be so innately female and, and you know, these 650,000 people, I'm guessing at motivation, of course, I, I can't. I can't know what six hundred and fifty thousand women are are uh, motivated by, but it seems like taking care of each other and the world seems to be a pretty important part of what they're doing. And I'm guessing that Will is noticing because he notices stuff like that. He's noticing projects that uh, where he could help. I'll bet right now. <laughs> yeah, this might be very sexist, but I find that when women become leaders in a particular organization, it dramatically changes the way that the organization relates to people with needs. I mean, my my investor always says that when he is investing in a startup um, or a company, he always requires that there is a female on the executive team or on the board that's directly influencing the way it's the culture. You know, like our team is doing an event here in November and we're, everybody's flying into Chicago and we're having a team event. And we talked about all these different things that we're going to do from a project standpoint. And I said, okay, I'm going to organize a service project. You know, either we're going to work in a food pantry or we're going to, you know, donate, you know, clothing to a homeless shelter. But, you know, we collectively, if we have an extra hour, let, let's put it towards good. Huh? And then we can go for drinks. You know, that's a that's a practice that I followed for years with my company also and, and uh, such incredible memories. And it brings people together in a way nothing else does. You know, we need to take a break and uh, turn things over to Paul uh, to uh, uh, sell some stuff. So let's take a moment, a quick break, a quick breath, and uh, we'll be right back with you.
Well, we're going to give you one quick thought here that uh, plays into what we've been talking about here today. Our two hosts have lived extraordinary lives and been extraordinary entrepreneurs, and Robert White, certainly one of them. He mentors extraordinary entrepreneurs and executives just like you, people who want better results from their leadership performance. He shows them how to turn those results into increased personal joy and satisfaction as well. Robert founded and led two large training industry success stories. He's been there and done that, and his experience will help you find and achieve that extraordinary success you seek in your life. So why wait? Reach out and see what Robert can do for you today. Just email him at robert at extraordinarypeople.com. Robert at extraordinarypeople.com. And start living the extraordinary life you've earned. Does your company have a clear vision? Do you have the right people in the right seats? Are you consistently getting the results you want and enjoying the journey? If not, consider EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. EOS is a set of simple concepts and practical tools used by more than 100,000 companies around the world to clarify, simplify, and achieve their vision. Schedule your free 90-minute meeting with an EOS implementer at eosworldwide.com today. That's eosworldwide.com. And we're back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> Peggy, uh, uh, as we wrap up today, uh, what's your message for our folks? You know, we have a, an audience of primarily of executives and on, entrepreneurs, both male and female. Uh, how can we support you? How can people be in touch with you if they need to be or if you're open to that? What's going on in your life right now that, uh, that you're excited about? I am really held worry across social media. I think influencers have done an amazing job of telling brand stories about a lot of things that are, I'm going to call sexy, hair care, skin care, beauty, fashion, jewelry. And I think that's amazing. I love that part. However, I think there's also an opportunity to leverage social media to tell other types of brand stories like this sister rising worldwide. Like, So I think it's the idea of like, how to help brands tell good brand stories across social media. And um, obviously, Peggy at Navely, N-A-V-E-L-Y dot life. I'd like to talk to those brands, find out what their brand story is and help them. And then the second thing, I guess, that I think is really important is that I would just encourage any of your listeners, if they are in a married or committed relationship, to really make sure that they're giving those relationships all the attention and love it deserves. Imagine, you know, sometimes when somebody in your life passes away, we have a new sense of like, wow, I need to hold my children longer. I need to tell people I love them. I need to make time for people. But sometimes when people are in a marriage for a very long time, they lose sight of that. And they think that comfortable sweater is always going to be there. And sometimes it, it doesn't. It goes away. And I recently, after 25 years, and I just want to encourage other people that you know, when they hit that 20-year mark or that 30-year mark and things get difficult, to really give it everything you've got. Take that person back out on a date and, and treat them as if they were if it was your first year of marriage over again. Wow. As somebody who was once accused of taking my wife for granted and feeling the burn of how true that was, <laughs> I received that with mixed feelings. <laughs> uh, well, you're always so good at wrapping up these wonderful meetings that we have with these not-so-famous achievers. So uh, I'm going to turn things over to you to wrap things up today. Well, what I, what I found, Peggy, is that this Sisters Rising is, is, is really the, is 
formed around uh, Roman Catholic nuns around the world, right? Yeah, but guess who they're not getting any funding from? Oh, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> We're th those guys are busy doing other things, <laughs> building like building amazing things. So that's why the rest of us need to um, rally around their work. Well, and I can tell you, watching the Episcopal Church as women became priests and bishops, it changed the whole nature of the church. And so it's certainly reasonable that those fighting the rearguard battle would have something to fear, because when that happens, when when Roman Catholic women become clergy, it will change the face of the church. And this is an example of it. And so sometimes, you know, it's not even necessary to take over the institution. You just get the work done. I'm going to write a book. That's going to be the title of my next work, just getting the work done. Get it done. Get it done. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's It's been a real pleasure, Peggy, getting to meet you and uh, to hear the wonderful things. And thank you so much for introducing me to uh, Sisters Rising Worldwide. And to all of our listeners, we'll be back next week with another guest that is uh, perhaps not so famous, but uh, definitely an achiever. Peggy, thank you. What a delight getting to know you. Uh, and and uh, uh, you're, you've are you got to be one of my favorite dogs with a bone. Well, and I apologize. I, I'm just so beating myself up that, that my connection was terrible and I was moving around here for you guys because you deserved better and I deserved better to be able to give your audience a better connection. So I'm so sorry about that. But when the podcast comes out, I will share it and uh, take full blame for that part that was not to the standard that you guys deserve. Well, they give us an excuse for doing it again, Peggy. Okay, yeah. If it's not good, I'll do it again. And that time I, I'll pay for it. <laughs> uh, all, all the best to you. Uh, I'm sending much love and respect. Thank you. Right back at you. You guys are five stars. Bye-bye. All the best. There you have it. Another great example of why you got to tune in. Over here, some conversations with maybe some not so famous but real achievers like our guest today. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. Streaming live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.